Punctured bicycle on a hillside desolate. Will nature make a man of me yet? Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. <clears throat> Lots of coffee in, in the system today. What, uh, what made you drink a lot of coffee? I just, I didn't sleep maybe as much as I would have enjoyed sleeping last night. And my response to that was to have a whole lot of coffee. Hmm. Is that a bad? No, a bad... That's, that seems advisable. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I try to do. Well, I'm, I'm late getting started here, so I'm only a uh, quarter of the way into my first one. But uh, but I'm sure you will reach... I'll be moving fast. You'll be moving slow. It'll be like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. We have something to announce. Should we do that now or do you want to do it, save it for later? Because I feel like the show's almost over. I would just Everything's moving quickly right now. I mean, like The Flash. Yeah. What's his name? Bobby Allen? Bobby uh, McFerrin. Bobby uh, McFerrin. <laughs> nah, run. Ding. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> His whole body's an instrument. <clears throat> I'm playing my chest. You can hear it. <laughs> I was listening to the Smiths yesterday to warm up for the, uh, la, la, the big show. La. No, you weren't. You don't listen no, to the I, Smiths. No, I actually was. What album? Hold on. I have to look it up. I, no, I knew it. I knew hold it. on. Hold on. It's right Anybody here can in Google Spotify. Anybody Smiths album? No, it's in Spotify. They, they show a little uh, thing. Search. <laughs> Kickstart my heart. Hmm? Dr. Hmm. Feel Good. Jo- uh, Cash is getting into uh, Motley Crue. Kickstart my heart. I think that's advisable. What was that? Here it is. Smith's. Yeah. This was this, this charming, charming man. man. Yeah. This- I would go out tonight, <clears throat> but I haven't got a stitch to wear. Yeah. Here it is. Something like that. I mean, I've- I'm just holding my phone up to the mic, so that he didn't. Uh, yeah, he didn't like that, so we had to switch to Molly. Punctured bicycle <laughs> on a hillside desolate. Will nature make a man of me yet? I think I've only heard it like once or twice. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that. La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> Did you turn on the dingus? We're getting DLC title suggestions. We are, yes, I, I started it. I could push another. I don't know what's that thing is dis, all discount. I'm going to send another one. Send, sure. a note, send a note to that lady. Yeah, I know. She's oh, great. Oh, oh. There is another one. Now, another tweet and another oh. push notification out. Push, push in the bush, bush. <laughs> oh, mm. I like these earlier. Thank you for doing the show a little bit earlier today. It mm. means a lot. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Nine o'clock is already nine o'clock my time. Nine o'clock foggy time is already a little early for me, but uh, you know we got things to do. You know stuff, stuff to stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that we should uh, go ahead and mention what's happening. This is exciting, Dan. I, I watched. I call it the third film. I watched the third film. I watched it last night just, just to prepare. What is the first film? Uh, the first film I think is probably the film, as you call it, is the Aviator. The Aviator. The other film I assume is the Big Lebowski. Okay. But the other film, I think arguably, hmm, arguably the one next to The Aviator that gets the most inscrutable playtime on Back to Work. Dan, tell people what we're doing. This is exciting. Well, we are going to be doing an episode of At the Movies, which is a five-by-five show that I think has one or maybe two episodes. The first one is uh, Goodfellas, which I did with John Syracuse 
uh, a while ago. Which is still recording somewhere. <laughs> That's right. We're still, we're still in the middle of it. And Merlin and I have I've talked for a, a long time about doing an episode, and we've debated, should it be the film? Should it be the second film? Should it be the third film? And I sent an email to you, and I said, let's let's do one of these if you have time. And you said, yeah, but I don't feel – I feel like it should be the third film first. And I, I totally agree with it because I just watched it the night before. So the film that we're talking about, the third film, is a, a little picture called Glengarry Glen Ross, mm-hmm. which is an amazing, amazing movie. I, every t- I feel like every time I see it, it I, see, I catch something else about it, about one of the performances, one of the nuances, the actors – uh, and it's a very, I think, relevant show, uh, movie for this show. Why is that? Oh, because of the work environment. The company man concept, the salesman concept, the uh, the demoralization that often happens in the workplace and how these folks sort of counteract it uh, or respond to it. The the concept of selling as a whole. I mean, it's, it's, it's so fascinating, the dynamic, the different characters, the interplay, the dialogue. Uh, it's a great, yeah, that, it's a great movie. Yeah, and the uh, the extent to which you're feeling that you can succeed on a given day comes out of an ability to feel like you're on a streak or that right. you psyched, psyched yourself up. The closing of the Nyborgs uh, it, by being energized from something that might have happened the night before. Speaking so here of Har- Harriet and blah blah Nyborg. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of crumb cake was it? So you're eating their cake. Yeah. The store. <laughs> <laughs> so there we. Uh, so if you haven't. If if you haven't already seen this movie, there's still plenty of time. Today's Tuesday. We're recording it Thursday, and if you, we will put the link to that show, which is currently in preview mode, in the show notes, so that you can go and if you want to, you can stream this, you can rent it, you can you can find lots of different ways to see it. Yeah, uh, Dan, why don't you tell people where that show notes page is for this episode 177 of your Back to Work program? Ah, uh, yes, you can go to 5by5.tv slash B2, the number W, slash 177, and uh, you will find everything in the show notes. And it's going to be at 5by5.tv slash movies slash 3 uh, if you want to get those special links for that. And uh, as ever, if uh, you probably already said this, but I didn't hear because I'm asleep. Uh, if you want to listen live at any time, to <laughs> oh, what's right. happening, you go to 5by5.tv slash live. Yeah. Or as you say in Espanol, live. 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 I'm not sure if there's an accent that you... <laughs> but we will once... The way, the way that we do this is we will record the show. We will record it live. And then we go back and the production process is intensive on on one of these because what you do is you, we, we will go in and after we might talk about a scene we might talk about dialogue from the scene we'll then go back to the movie and pull that dialogue and play clips interspersed throughout our discussion that's traditionally the way that we we've done it and i would like mm-hmm. to do that again and so it's a lot of uh, production time it might not be out thursday it'll probably be out uh within a day or two after that because there's a lot of wow. work on it yeah that's and, a lot of work well, we do a lot the last the one for the for goodfellas that that took like six hours of production time. Oh, I mean, that's a high bar. Yeah. Um, that was a really good episode. Yeah, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of pressure to... Um, it's one thing to be able to, you know, half recite lines from a movie. It's another thing to have something to say about it. So I'm trying to bone up a little bit. And I watched it again last night. Um, one thing I, I read along the way was... I mean, it's, a, it's very short. The play itself is famously very short. It's yeah. a two-act play. And 
I, I got the impression that maybe one reason Blake's speech, arguably, I think the most famous scene in the in the movie, uh, was added was to just uh, make it a little bit longer. Right. I read that, too, that apparently they uh, had done the film adaptation, had the screenplay ready to go. And they were, listen, it's too short. You got to add add something. But it's yeah. hard. I've I never saw the play. I've never seen the play. And I but I can't imagine it, it's very much feels like a play in a in a good way, the movie. But I can't imagine seeing this thing without Blake's scene in it. Like it does. It sets the tone of the movie. It sets up the pressure that the characters feel. It it makes it real. And the idea of not having that, it might feel a little more like a, it's just an average day in the office kind of thing. Whereas having, uh, yeah. yeah, having Blake's, and we we will talk about this more, I'm sure, on, on the episode, but having Blake's set up there really creates the dynamic that would lead, to me, feels like it would lead to the events that transpire over the next two acts. Oh, absolutely. Now, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I've never seen the play either. I've never even read the play. I, I might have read the play in college. I don't remember. But... Um, but I, my, my gut would be that the tone of the play would feel more like the scenes with Ed Harris and Alan Arkin. You yeah, know, where it yeah. would be a lot of the rapid fire, you know, back and forth. Right. Those scenes are so amazing. Um, Alan Arkin. If you ever wonder where my, where my, where my response comes from, yes. I'm just stealing, <laughs> I'm stealing, I'm stealing the world's greatest line reading from Alan Arkin. Yes. Yeah. Men, we are men. Yes. Yes. Are we talking here? Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say what it is about it. It's, uh, I think when I first saw it, I I said before, I think it's one of the very few things that I owned and kept on VHS for years. And I, I would watch it a lot, you know, even in the nineties, it came out in 1992, the film. And, um, there's just something really, first of all, obviously the, the script, the screenplay, itself is is terrific you could read that screenplay and go wow this is really dynamite but the way that all the characters the casting feels so perfect and the the line readings and the exchanges are just so taut um and there's just something very atmospheric about the movie you know about the the, being cramped into these crummy little boxes and these crummy little scenes and uh i think i go ahead no i was just going to say one of the things that really strikes me about this movie and how different it is uh, you know, because there are certain movies that we we would say, "Oh man, I I loved Caddyshack. What a great movie!" And you watch it again, and you're like, "Hmm, a couple scenes were good. It just doesn't hold up as a whole." You know, this movie continues to hold up, but there's so much about it that is of that time period without it intentionally being of that time period. And the simple, the simple things that you have these great shots in phone booths, it's like this theme of the phone and phone booths and something I just, gosh, I don't know if I should save this. I'll save the, 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 the detailed exposition of this for Thursday, but phones are being replaced with, with a different style phone, a new phone at the end of the, it's just, there's all that there's this running thing of like, they go to a phone booth to make a call and there's this lighting within the phone booth and the color of the phone booth is red. All these little details that are just so really interesting and great. And it, if you, if you put it into today's world, the modern world where we're all walking around with, you know, iPhones in our pocket and, and doing sales over email and instant messenger, it, it's a different 
world. And even then, you're seeing the end of one world, the end of the machines world, and the replacement uh, with, you know, with Ricky, Tony Roma's world. Or, yeah. Yeah. Tony Ricky, Roma. Ricky, That's the ribs place. The ribs place. Why do I say that? Ricky Roma's world. You know, and, and he, he's, he's the only one who's got a, uh, a portable phone. That's right. It's so weird. It's so weird, you know, it's, and that symbolism there. Anyway, we'll talk about that more. But it's, you're right, though. It's, there's also stuff like the fact that, I mean, there's also this idea that if you, like you say, if you did that today, it would all be happening. You'd be looking over the shoulder at somebody's screen. Yeah. But just the idea that you come into this, this dingy office and you're handed a piece of paper with an Avery label on it. Mm-hmm. That is the lead that yeah. you get. And you hope it's not the Patels. They just like to, <laughs> they just like to talk to salesmen. <laughs> That's the Nyborgs, right? Yeah. But, uh, but you're handed this, uh, you know, whatever, uh, five by seven card. The fact that your and this, I, I know this from when my mom was in real estate at an actual legitimate uh, residential real estate company in the 70s, was that there were two big boards. There's two big chalkboards in the office. The one on the left was listings and the one on the right was sales. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, how many, how many houses were you getting on the market and how many houses were you selling? And it was right there for everybody to see every day, um, who was selling the most. And there were incentive things. I mean, there was nothing like Cadillacs and stick knives, but very much the sense that everybody could see what kind of month you were having all the time. Mm -hmm. So, and then anything that was happening in your life ended up being reflected in, in the board in some ways. Yeah. If you did, like, you know, when, when, uh, when one of the guys had to go out for his hemorrhoid surgery, like his numbers went way down and that was reflected on the board. That's not from the film. That's from an office in Cincinnati. But, uh, so you got that, then you, but you've got this, you feel very exposed, very raw. Like everybody can see, you You know how to needle each other. It is like a, a classic 20th century play in that it is, it is also very much, a, we're getting into the movie now. We should hold this, but, but I, um, well, I think we can parlay this into another conversation, too. So, yeah, so what I would say is, um, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, it is a pretty great movie. If you're sensitive to, you know, language and tense situations, this is probably uh, not your wheelhouse. Right, but, yeah, skip it. But it is uh, it is really a tremendous play. I think it's, the scene with Alec Baldwin we are talking about is, I think, one of my <clears throat> one of my favorite monologues of all time. I mean, you know, one of my favorite scenes, at least. I don't oh, know if you for could sure. a monologue, but it's, it's incredibly memorable. All, many of the lines you have heard us say on here, talking about signing on the line, which is dotted, A, always BBC, closing, all those things you will see in this movie. But even more than being a cheat sheet for Back to Work, uh, it, it really is a swell movie, and it's not very long. It's on Netflix. The, the print on there looks pretty good. And so, like I say, you got, you got time to watch it twice before we record on Thursday. So here's, here's where I feel like this could go into a conversation you're gonna what are we talking what are you you talking about (laughs) talking about you're talking about what you're talking about that uh that you're trying to bang i am talking about motivation because okay there's a story and i i gosh i wish i could remember the this this story you it may ring a bell to you and i'm sure if it if it doesn't some of the listeners uh will will remind us uh either during or probably immediately after the show is done. This is back in the days of the assembly line of the production plan. And I, the, the details of the story are so vague, but it's a great story that whoever it was that was running the plant wanted to motivate the workers. 
and he he did this is where I lo- that that's the main part of the story I remember the rest of it is the stuff that I've completely lost in my mind he drew some kind of chalk line and said the the, the workers on this side of, of of it will get one thing and the other will get another and they, he he basically made it a competition between different groups of workers as to who could you know, these guys are doing better. These guys are doing better. And, and he made it this sort of competition where it increased productivity. I'm doing an awful, awful job of explaining and remembering this story. And I Googled it before the show and I still couldn't couldn't find it. But does this ring any bell to you at all? Is, am I drawing this from a complete mystery? I don't, I, don't know the, um, I don't know the experiment, but what you're describing is is extremely common. We've been watching a lot of Harry Potter. And in every Harry Potter, there's, you know, the four houses at um, – at Hogwarts, and a lot, you know, a good part of the big, well, not the big, big dramatic arc, but the dramatic arc about Hogwarts is like whose school is getting the most points, which school, which which member of that school is going to become the the whatever the first boy or whatever, and you know, I think that's that's a big part of trying to motivate people is this weird way of highlighting the people who are doing well and depersonalizing and shaming the ones who don't do well. To call it motivation is a bit of a stretch, but yeah. but you could I mean, it's motivation for the people who win, but it's <laughs> it's real clobbering for the people who aren't. Yeah, uh, you know the when you I like I like that saying motivation for the the people who win, but it's it's interesting as a whole the concept of motivation. A lot of the people that write in for for our show or write in for quit, it, it seems like that's a common theme. I don't really think we've, we've talked about it once maybe about motivation. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the, the one you hear motivation, I guess I feel like the word that I hear more often, especially with regard to any kind of creative or personal endeavors, endeavors, inspiration. How do I, how, how will I be inspired to make something? How will I be inspired to be better? How will I be inspired to find my dream job? And, and I think motivation has more of a, Motivation has pit stains. Title. Um, motivation is a way of saying, like, what is what is the hard thing I have to do to help me keep my head down and actually start, proceed with, and then complete this difficult thing that I have to do. And I, I think it is an interesting topic. Okay, uh, Joel Bush to the rescue, local local Austin hero and good friend of mine, uh, Charles Schwab. It was a steel plant in the early 1900s, and he wrote. So here's a story on your favorite site, A Business Insider. Love that site. And it says uh, one of his most uh, effective management tactics was formulated with a piece of chalk and the number six. Uh, may I read this or should I? Should yes. we just link to it? During the early 1900s, Schwab wanted to increase the amount of steel his workers produced, but none of his methods worked, not even the threat of firing. So he devised a simple plan to stimulate good, old-fashioned, healthy competition. And uh, there's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And here's the story. Uh, it says the conversation took place at the end of the day, just before the night shift came on. Schwab asked the manager for a piece of chalk and then turning to the nearest man asked, how many heats did your shift make today? And he says six. Without another word, Schwab chalked a big figure six on the floor and walked away. When the night shift came in, they saw the six and asked what it meant. The big boss was in here uh, today and the people and he explained it. He said, it's how many heats we made. And we told him six and he chalked it on the floor. The next morning, Charles Schwab, uh, not Charles Schwab, the next morning, Schwab walked through the mill again. The night shift had rubbed out six and replaced it with a big seven. When the day shift reported for work the next morning, they saw a big seven chalked on the floor and they asked what it was. 
The crew pitched in with enthusiasm, and when they quit that night, they left behind an enormous swaggering 10. Shortly, this mill, which had been lagging way behind in production, was turning out more work than any other mill in the plant. Mm-hmm. And that's that's without adding any kind of financial bonus or without... Right, just competition. Uh, well, it's neither the incentive of, overtly anyway, neither the incentive of more money or the threat of losing your job or, or cut in pay. It's purely in terms of uh, status in some ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's also interesting though because if you look at things like factories or you look at things that at a, a lot of those kinds of uh, organizations where you have a very large group that's broken into medium sized groups that have smaller groups inside of them, I think one of the struggles that every uh, manager has or every anybody who who needs to manage part of the trouble they have is that they can't have their eyes on everybody all the time and they can't be motivating somebody on a one-to-one basis all the time and so they have to find ways to get you to sort of police yourself so again a la harry potter or uh you know a, some kind of a, a factory if you get these if you break this into five groups assign them each a color and say hey look you know blue group is getting 20 percent more consistently than everybody else um then that that not only makes you as an individual feel like you have to work harder, but it makes you as an individual start watching the other individuals <laughs> to make sure that they are giving as much. Right. Which now takes some of the burden of that quote unquote motivation off of the bosses. Right. Now, now it's now you've got people watching each other and trying to incentivize them. But um yeah, I think there's a lot of angles on that. But also when it comes to sales, the kinds of people who go into sales, it's a tough racket, the kind of people who go into sales <laughs> and stay in sales, I think uh, have a tend to have a certain kind of personality. They mm-hmm. tend to be kind of extroverted and and driven. And in some sense, maybe, I don't know, this is, if this is a cliche, forgive me, but are aware of things like status yeah, because their job is so heavily attached to a certain number over a certain period. And, you know, I, I think it's, if you're, if you're going to be in sales, you have to be used to the idea that your main metric is how much stuff you sold. And in this case, in, in the film, you know, although they, I don't think they ever overtly say something really critical in the movie, something that's very obvious. It was obvious to me when I watched it, when I was, whatever that was, uh, uh, in, in my late twenties, I guess, is that they're selling, you know, swampland basically they're selling junky, worthless properties, right? right? In Florida. Right. So it, it, it's, it isn't like they are trying to get pledges for the United way. They are, and they're not they're, even really selling a product that's possible for them to believe. You know what I mean? Like these if, people will never see the property that's being sold. No, them. no, they'll never go there. They'll never see it. It's just simply, land it's it's land that's that's so great the way it gets a name you know like this is this is the uh glenn ross this was rio rancho yeah that's that's the one that always is funny to me rio rancho and then uh williamson eight months in a row three years (laughs) (laughs) williamson refers to another one when they're talking about it when he was at a different place high something anyway highlands something highlands yeah yeah but, you know, that's also, I don't know if this resonated for you, but that's double extra funny for me as a kid from Florida, where every subdivision uh, has a name. <laughs> yeah. It has some kind of a name, usually, and it's, you know, two or three nouns slapped together. And right. the conventional wisdom, as you know, in Florida is that the name of your development 
uh, it was named after whatever was destroyed in order to make <laughs> your house. So you would have, you know, Indian Deer Lake, where there, where we killed the Indians, <laughs> we killed the deer, and we drained the lake. But then you'd get yeah, you'd get over there in Indian Deer Lakes three. You you yeah, and then you would get that number attached to it, like oh, that number. I lived in Colonial Hills too. Right, I'm in Tiburon too. <laughs> Estancia West too. But you know, in the same way, this is really going on. This is going, but it's funny how, like, when we came to the new world from uh, from overseas, uh, we started naming things after the old world. So you know, uh, old New York was once New Amsterdam, right? Uh-huh. I mean, because that was Dutch people that were settling that, so they called it, you know, New Amsterdam. Uh, everything got a name or Plymouth or whatever it is. It's all named based on stuff. So much stuff in Massachusetts is based on stuff in in England, and. Um, and in this case, it's funny how there's, I guess what I, I guess what, what uh, this doesn't, I don't know if this will help anybody's enjoyment of the movie, but it was so evocative to me because there's so many layers of abstraction. There's this land somewhere, presumably probably in Florida. They mentioned at one point, you know, they, they used to be a joke, right? Selling swamp land to people. You saw people, some tract of land somewhere, but there's this, there's this notional piece of land that has some kind of a name to it. And then if you're somebody like, uh, like uh, Ricky Roma, or you're, you're good at this, you can attach some kind of ideal or dream or decision about how your life has turned out, should turn out a certain way. And you attach that to the purchase of this property. And there's all, but there's all of this like storytelling and abstraction, these layers and layers and layers. But when you get to the top layer that really matters, it's about who sold the most of those fairy tales and dreams. Mm. And it's it, all that abstraction leads to something extremely specific, which is, you know, did you get them to sign on the line which is dotted? Which, I, you know, is, is I think a very interesting idea. And again, not so far off what most of us do. If you're a knowledge worker, even if you're not selling swampland, you're out there making something that's very difficult to hold in your hands and show to somebody. You can't just grab a handful of uh, a Ruby program and then show it to your parents and go, look how successful I am. True. It's it's kind of complicated. Or somebody, somebody, you take somebody, like let's say uh, you're... Uh, you've you've made a website, or you've made you work somewhere in the middle. You're like a high level. Uh, you're you're like you're not like an HTML. You're not a designer. You're not an HTML person. You're not a close to the metal programmer. You're somebody in the middle who's a developer, and you show somebody this website you worked on, and they go, "Okay, wow, that's pretty." Did you make the logo? No. Oh, did you write what's on? Did you write the the blah blah text on this page? No, no. Oh, did you pick the colors? No. Did you, well, no, I made it so that when you put the cursor over this part, then you get these results show up over here. Like, oh, okay. What's that called? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet you can certainly take a lot of pride in that work. But yeah, anyway, back to the motivation, though, I, I think that is a very interesting topic because I, I think it is very elusive. And I think that there's at least a couple kinds of motivation that I find interesting because they're so different. There's a kind of motivation that helps you get off your ass today. And then there's a kind of motivation that maybe at a higher level that gets you uh, motivated to make a change or to keep pushing in this uh, certain direction that seems valuable to you. And to me, to me, motivation, when you boil it down, means what is, what is the thing it's not the thing, maybe one way to look at it is like inspiration is the thing that gets you excited about doing something. Um, motivation is the thing that helps you keep working on it when it really sucks to be working on it. When you got to really go like, okay, should I go to sleep or should I work on this for another hour? Should I take this draft that's really crummy and throw it away and start over and get re-inspired? Or do, do I have the motivation to try and turn that into something good, whatever that may be? And I think those things are notoriously uh, and 
realistically, very difficult to find, very hard to hang on to, and very hard to put in context with all the other demands that you have in your life. Well, I really like the distinction that you make there between those different kinds of motivations. And it's different when you also take into consideration the aspirations. And I'm always fascinated, especially now as an employer. Oh, and I should tell you about something I like. Uh, as an employer, the the different kinds of considerations you make regarding that kind of thing. Because, you know, like I was talking to I have a bookkeeper and I was talking to her about things like pay raises and things like that. And, and you know, the importance of that is it's it's I remember back maybe my second job out of college, I got a 3% increase. This is, I was, I wasn't slacking off, but I didn't like the job and I was doing like, this is what I needed to get by. And I remember one of my friends who was always really, really working really hard, always putting in extra time, going way, way, way above and beyond. He worked in a different group and he had a great boss and he was, you know, challenged every day. And I was in this kind of really just monotonous, boring job that I probably could have made more interesting if I had tried. Um, but he got, you know, a 6% increase and I got a 3% increase, which was what we called a cost of living increase at the time. I called a cola. Coca-Cola? Co- cola, cost of living uh, oh, adjustment. nice. And that's what I received. And he received a nice one. And I remember thinking, oh, I guess if I work harder, I'll get more money. Like it it really clicked for me in a very, very tangible way, even though I knew that from working all these part-time jobs that like if you work at Publix and you offer to, you know, can I sweep the floor and the, you know, which is always like the fun job, but like, can I do this? Can I, you know, do the thing in the break room, whatever, where you would clean up extra things to ask for extra work, ask for extra responsibilities. No, that, nobody wants to clean out the walk-in cooler. No one wants that. And if you offer to do it, like, yes, do that enough and you will get a promotion to part-time stockman or you'll get a raise. Like that was there in my mind, but in the professional world, like 3% of your salary versus 6% of your salary, that could potentially be a big difference. And you know, it's rewarded on a very different scale. And that, that really hit home for me then. And now as an employer, you think, well, you know, giving someone a raise, especially if they're like hourly, what percentage or what, you know, what, what will make a difference to them? And is that the issue? What will make a difference to them? Or is it just, this is what we can afford all of these weird things that you think of motivating. How do you motivate people in addition to just giving them more money per hour or per year you know there are lots and lots of other ways it's amazing how where somebody's desk is can completely change the end obviously there's the stapler joke coming but you know moving someone to the basement versus giving them the choice of a desk with a with a good view what a difference that can make and that's one of these things that that makes a difference in somebody's day every single day so but also think about when you're a salaried i want to hear what you like but when you think about being a salaried employee one thing that would not have occurred to me at that time or it really in any of my previous lives is something that seems very heavily um, related to cognition and behavioral things mm. where let's say, let's say you're somebody, you know, so if you're a salaried person and you make, you know, $10,000 a year and your boss says to you, Hey, you know, work really hard and we'll get you a raise to $12,000 a year. Well, if you work really, really hard, and that person does what they said and they say, hey, great, we're going to give you a raise to $12,000 a year. Well, I think a manager might look at that as motivation to, to get work out of you in the near term, but yeah. also kind of in the long term. And why is that? Well, 
Because really, from the employee's point of view, that $2,000 a year raise was really about what you've already done, in a sense. So if you think about that, right? So you see your pay go up a little bit every month or every couple of weeks or whenever you get paid. And you say, okay, well, now I'm making a little more money. Now, but from your perspective as the employee, you mostly feel like, okay, I got the thing that I was supposed to get. Now what's next? And that's a complicated problem Mm -hmm. because now you've taken something that started out as motivation to get more of this thing and has now been converted into, now here's something I'm only, I'm primarily going to fear losing. Like if I don't keep this up, I might lose my job. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Well, you pull out another carrot and say, okay, well, if you work really hard, we can maybe get you up to in the next uh, 18 months, we might get you up, maybe, maybe get you up to $15,000 a year, which will now, as they say, incentivize you to work, but think, but think about that carrot and the stick approach because it, it feel, the carrot is what pushes you up to that point that you want, and it's the stick that makes you fear losing it. So you got to keep that hustle up from both directions, which I think has a lot to do with two um, two models that are very popular in the United States. There's the sales model, which is you get something uh, called what is it called? Yeah, well, you, for lack of a better word, base pay. So your base pay as a salesperson, and again, my mom had been a salesperson in retail. I know this, at least in the 90s, was the case. You get a base pay of N dollars a year that's you know, a poverty wage. And then you get bonuses based on how much you sell. And those bonuses can be substantial. If you, make, if you kind of are a, uh, an average salesperson, you make an okay living wage. If you're a really good salesperson, you make a lot. But you start to understand, like the guys in Glengarry Glen Ross, that that bonus is like a monthly reminder of how important it is to be motivated to go out and do those sits. The other one, when I was a waiter uh, in Florida, I don't know, if this, I, I imagine this has gone up. I hope this has gone up. When I was a waiter, the minimum wage for uh, service people who got tips was two oh one an hour. Mm, I'm sure the, it's gone up. A the, yeah, the minimum wage at the time was probably four five bucks an hour, but the, but you got paid $2 an hour, which is not a lot of dough. If you were good at what you did, but the thing is that two, 201, that's what every waiter in Florida got paid. I think, Yeah. I don't think there's anybody because the thing is, if you worked in a place that didn't, that wasn't fancy, well, then you weren't a very well-paid waiter, but you still got 201. The tips weren't that great. If you worked in a very fancy place and worked really hard, then you would get a more kind of deluxe tip. You know, I know somebody here, uh, she's a woman has a degree in design uh, from a from a big school here in Austin area, and you, she makes m- significantly more uh, as a uh, you know as a server at a very high end, really cool restaurant here in town. Great food uh, that like we would go there if it's like wow, we had an amazing quarter. Let's celebrate! Like that's it's that great. And you would go and she works there and she says, oh, I make easily 10K more than the people that I know that graduated with me. She's like, I work three or four nights a week and I have the rest of the time off, basically, you know, like that's a and she makes more. And the the people that I know that that, you know, work and and graduated at that time period that are in her age group and experience level, uh, you know, they're, they're making less. They're working 10, 12 hour days. You know, I'm, it's a completely different kind of work, but that's a compelling reason to stay working in a restaurant. If, you, if you've worked your way up the chain at a really great restaurant that's doing really well, you know, that's that's definitely where money is going to be a motivating factor. It would be hard for me to say, well, I spent this time in school and I have a degree and I'm not going to use it. But mm-hmm. the money is definitely an incentive. Yeah. And if you're young, especially if you're young, because I mean, it's, it's a stressful, high hustle kind of job. Yeah. 
pretty much anywhere that you work. There's, there's, I can't think of many places you would work where being a, a waiter or waitress is not a kind of, kind of stressful job, but it is also kind of great. It is, it is pretty great to like come in and work somewhere for, you know, five hours, six hours. And every day it's pretty understandable. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can grow, you can um, grow, mm. you can increase your expertise of what you do. You can learn stuff. You can get better. You can, you can, you can do all kinds of stuff to get better at it. But, you know, and you you do have a boss, but like, usually you've got a relationship that even if you don't love it, you can at least understand there's not that much abstraction. You understand like what your job is. I think that's extremely appealing versus being somewhere where like the next change and what frameworks, you know, are being used can have a huge impact on whether you have a job. Do you want to talk about something you like? I would love to tell you about Harry's. Harry's is a really, really cool. There's a cool story behind this. Uh, But basically the, the, the easiest way to describe these guys is they make really awesome razors, shaving razors. And the story is one of the co-founders, Andy, he went to a drugstore. He waited 10 minutes for someone to unlock this special case where they keep the regular razor. He needed to buy a razor. He wanted to buy a four-pack of blades and uh, some shaving cream. And he had to wait, and they had to come and unlock it. And he's like, this was not a good experience for him. He didn't enjoy that. And what he got was, you know, average at best. He walked out, and he looked in the bag, and he'd spent 25 bucks for, for brands he didn't really care about. And, uh, and he felt like there had to be a better way. Well, these are the same folks who had started Warby Parker, the glasses place, and thought, you know, we've got some experience here. Maybe we could make this whole thing a lot better. So what they decided to do is start a new company. It's called Harry's. They focused on providing guys and, and ladies, too. We've talked about this with a great shaving experience for a fraction of the price. They're about half the price of the razor blades you're going to get from one of the, the main manufacturers you'd find on like Target. They have a clean product design, less but better, high quality blades that they have in there. They went to Germany to get these blades and they found the best ones were there and they they had such a great situation. They said, we love this. We're going to buy it. So they bought the factory in Germany. Half the price now they can charge for these blades and you order it, you do it all online. These things are shipped to your door. They look, the look and feel of the product is amazing. The quality of the shave is great. You get the barbershop smooth shave anywhere, anytime. So here's a special promo. Five bucks off your first purchase. You go to uh, you go to harrys.com and the code you're going to use is comics because it's a show about comics. Mm-hmm. And that'll save you five bucks off. So just go to harrys.com and order it. You can, you can get just the, the razor with some blades. You can get one of these great little gift boxes that come with all like a starter kit that comes with everything, which is what I got. You can even get this engraved. You want to get, you know, we, did we miss, we missed Father's Day, right? So get it for the, the, the birthday. And we hear all the time whenever we do these that women will write in and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I use one of these too, or I borrowed my husband's and now I like it. Well, I got myself one. They're really great. Feels great to hold. Anyway, check these guys out. Harry's.com. Code to use is comics. It'll save you five bucks off your first order. Thanks very much to harrys.com for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Their blades are great. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't guess that they are as inexpensive as they are when you're using them at all. Yeah, no, they seem, they seem like something, because I went into, I, went, I was in San Francisco, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to that, that one area where all the shopping is, and there's a store uh, for, for shaving there. <laughs> and I went into this store. Do you know what I'm talking? I know you spent a lot of time in that, in that section. Big shaver. And I went down in there 
And they, they, it's a whole store that's just geared toward men, I think, that's just about shaving. And you could, and the cost of these things were just astounding. And they, you know, they do the wet shave, the regular shave, all different cuts. And I was thinking to myself the whole time, I'm like, why would I get anything here? Harry's has it at all. So anyway, that's, that's enough. Good folks over there too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I got a lot more to say. About- motivating. 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 Also, can, can, can we do a uh, an inner term here to mention a couple things? Yeah. Would that would that would that kill the uh, momentum? No, I'd love that. I don't know what it means. Well, we got a couple things to mention. I think we should mention um, mention uh, what our what our friend. Uh, oh, my, oh my god! Omar, ter- terrible brain for Omar. Friend Omar coming. Omar coming. What our friend Alan McCoy uh, did for us. Oh my gosh, this is a great... Oh, and how was your comic thing? Speaking of comics, how was your... It was your, really good. Yeah? It was really good. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, okay, so real quickie, last week was the fourth uh, ungainly X-Men meetup at Two Cats Comics in West Portal, and it was great. Uh, wonderful group there. Uh, I don't know, it's just really fun. I, I don't have much to say about it, except that I have something I really come to look forward to. And a great group. Oh, oh, you know who was there? Well, there were a lot of great people there, but you know who came? Glyph. Yeah. The guy who sent us the email about how he has trouble getting away from email. And then we did the show about it. <laughs> right. He was there. That's awesome. It's like a tech big shot. We ended up having a drink, going to Muni together, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I bought him a, a Muni ticket. That's nice. how I roll. It's so sweet. Is that like well, a Bart? Hmm? Oh, brother. It's like a Bart. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, uh, I use my daughter's uh, clipper card for him. That's how I roll. That's sweet. Uh, okay, so uh, uh, we, this this is uh, a visual thing, but I want to just mention it. Uh, it's in show notes, but our, uh, a friend of the show, Alan McCoy, went to Heroes Con. That's the name of it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. The one that was in, uh, was this in Charlotte? It's in, it's in a Carolina. Carolinas. Yeah, it's one of the greater Carolinas. And uh, he's, he and his kid went to this, and I guess with an iPhone, went around and got a bunch of mostly, uh, well, first of all, like all super nice people, but mostly kind of befuddled comics artists and writers to say hi to Dan and me because we weren't able to go to this. And he got some heavy hitters. It oh was my gosh, really, he did. Oh my God. It was really, really cool. And then he edited it together into a little movie and sent it along. You can follow a link to the Vimeo page where that is. It's, it was such a sweet thing to do. Um, so many of our favorites uh, in there. And people, uh, they went along with it so nicely too. That's the other thing is is these big, big names in comics. Yeah, they uh, were like ready to just have fun with it. And wow, and Scotty Young, I just got to say, Scotty, Scotty Young said our names. Scotty Young said our names. It's amazing. Bill, uh, Bill Sinkovitz, Sinkevich, Bill Sinkevich, yeah. Sinkevich, Sinkevich, uh, who seems like a very handsome, very very nice man. Boy, that guy's amazing. His new mutant stuff back in the eighties, wow! And he did the uh, did the Electra. He's he's terrific. He's one of my favorite comic artists. Oh, who else? Uh, Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick were very sweet and very enthusiastic uh, uh, about saying hi. Oh, the uh, Love and Rockets guys. Yeah, <laughs> how crazy is that? It's crazy. They seemed especially confused. I know. I like that there was a little bit. There was a little bit of confusion, and I wonder what that is like. If you know, if, if, if there was this uh, great scene in. Um, in Annie Hall, where Woody Allen is, uh, is you know, there are these two sort of Italian guys that find him on the street of, streets of New York, and they're like, "Hey, we got you know whatever the whatever okay, his what, character." What movie are you in? Yeah, 
Where and, are you from? And, and they finally realize who it is, and they start sort of shouting around to other people, we got him right here, he's right here. And, uh, and so as he's doing it, you know, he's like, oh, would you just sign this for me? So he says, all right, I'll sign it. And he says, you know, make it out to Mary. And he's like, your name's Mary? He's like, for my sister. It's for my brother, you know. And, but it's funny, I guess these guys are just used to being asked to like say hi to a person like that must be a normal thing for them oh sign it to this person say hi to this i don't know i'm not even famous and i've done that a bunch of times i signed i signed uh i signed somebody's uh hawkeye uh comic uh last week um yeah it's i've done things like had skype calls with people on their birthday and things like that that somebody asked to do it's just it's a nice thing but here's the thing i've never been to a comic convention but i imagine you get a lot of really squirrely requests that alongside just the utter exhaustion yeah. of just sitting at a table for so long. I mean, no matter how much you love that stuff, like, you know, it seems like it would still be really exhausting mm-hmm. to have to sit there. Man, Scotty Young. I wish I could remember some of the other ones now too. Um, who's the very first one? Oh, Hold there's on, the guy I'm from the uh, classic, right classic showdowns guy that I follow on Tumblr was there. He seemed really nice. Do you want me to play uh, it or should people just go and, and do it? Well, they're not going to be able to see what the they names won't be able are. It won't make a lot of sense. But yeah, go check it out. Anyway, I just want to say thanks to Alan. Now, what a sweet gesture. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful. And then thanks to all of the comic people who uh, who said hi, not knowing any, not having any idea. Who do you actually... think, is there, what is that part of yourself that in the back of your mind thinks maybe they know who, who we are? They and don't. I well, know. I think exactly two people in that. Uh, video know who we are. Yeah, I mean Matt, Matt and Kelly Sue. But I mean, apart from that, like I, who are the nicest people in the world. But um, no, I don't think any of those people had any idea. Phil Noto. Phil Noto. It, Phil, as I like to call him, Phil F and Noto. Chris Visions was watching shown. It? Yeah, I'm watching it now. He was shown drawing. I don't think he actually said hi to us. <sighs> Dead to me. <laughs> Phil Noto's uh, great. Uh, his uh, his Black Widow right now is really good. He's a great illustrator. Okay, um, what else do we have? That was pretty much it. There's an article I put in show notes that was good. Glengarry Glenn Ross. Some people sent CRM suggestions. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that. But uh, but where are we at? Oh, we're doing pretty well. But we should get back to uh, we could talk more about the motivation stuff. Um, well, here's here's the situation: is that when you're an employer and you have different employees, they all come from a different standpoint. And I don't; it's not like I have that many. I think of, of four or five people, um, uh, you know, who, who who all come from a different place of motivation. You know, for some people, uh, it's it's simply I have a job, and it's not flipping burgers. That the fact that they're in air conditioning and not behind an oven is enough motivation for them to feel incredibly excited and happy about being at work. And then you've got uh, another kind of side of it where, and I noticed there's an experience, uh, years of experience difference here, where for other people who sort of know that they could kind of go work anywhere, who've had many years, uh, you know, five plus 10 years uh, in, in the industry and they live here in Austin and they're like, you know, I'm good at what I do. I could probably find another job tomorrow if I chose to. So what keeps me here? There's the people who feel like, wow, this job is a gift or a blessing. And then there's other people who are like, I'm challenged, so I'm staying. And it's a very, very fundamentally different source of, uh, of, of what makes them take a shower and come into work. 
yeah. in, in the day. And it's so dramatic. And I don't know if it's related to years of experience, if it's a fact that the job market here is really good. I just, I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's super interesting. And it, it, again, there's so many angles on of it, on it. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to sound uh, negative or dour about it, but I, I don't, I think for most people, uh, well, let's look at it this way. If you work in an Amazon fulfillment center, mm, the based worst. on what I understand, yeah, that seems pretty bad. Like there is a tremendous amount of a kind of motivation, which as I understand it comes down to this, like you have to make your body do almost superhuman things under really um, terrible conditions, uncomfortable, maybe even slightly unhealthy or dangerous conditions. You know, you've got to do some stuff that's really going to put you to the test. And we expect you to be really flawless and consistent and fast. And that's, that's a kind of motivation. But here's the thing, like when you drop and hit the uh, concrete apron, don't worry, there's still five people right behind you that we could bring in to replace you. Mm-hmm. So that motivation is maybe in that job market or, or what have you. Um, I mean, I, you know, I don't have a particular opinion apart from saying it sounds like kind of an awful place to work. But the, the truth of the matter is that there are other people who will take that job. There's all kinds of jobs that aren't particularly great in the world. There's always going to be people there for. I mean, shoot, the uh, real estate market in San Francisco is so weird that, you know, if anything goes on sale, somebody's going to buy it. Mm, it doesn't really? matter whether it's great or not. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's what makes San Francisco such a, such a black swan in an otherwise, you know, seemingly world of economics is that there will always be a, an almost unlimited amount of money available for people who want to be in the city limits, which is disruptive to that market. And so anybody who has the most money will find a way to get something here. Uh, and then the people who don't win are the people who don't have all the money in the world. And I'm not talking here about the 1%. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, it's like the super, super rich pushing out the super rich is what I'm talking about. Um, but, but okay, so but then, but then when talking about the sort of work your folks are doing or most other places, I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I think that I think that motivation thing, it becomes elusive pretty much from the minute you get the job. Because, you know, just to return to that previous analogy, when you think about what you're getting paid for a job, there's almost, I would have to guess, there's almost nobody in the world who thinks they're being, who honestly thinks they're being paid way too much for what they do. There are a lot of people who feel like they're, I mean, probably a majority of people who feel like they should be paid more or compensated more, however you want to whatever you want to look at that as you do get a better desk. You do get a parking space. Mm -hmm. You do get an expense account, whatever it is. I think almost all of us would accept more of whatever that compensation is without going, Oh no, I don't deserve that. Mm -hmm. That's, that would be very, very unusual. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people uh, that often for extremely good reasons know that they're not making as much as they would like for sure. And in a lot of instances probably think they're not making as much as they should. And I don't know. That's, I've never been in any place where I went and said to the boss, please pay me less. <laughs> I don't think anybody's, nobody does that. Probably not. Right. But I mean, that's what makes this such a special situation. And so then by extension, you know, from the minute you get a job and they say, we're going to pay you $10,000 a year for this job. Well, that's great. Cause now you got a job. You're past that hurdle. Now you start going in, you start adapting, you start training, you orient, whatever it is that it takes to get going with that. I bet it's not super long before you go, wow, I really wish I was making more money with this job or, or, to put differently or in a related way, I should have a lot less crazy, chaotic work assigned to me for the amount that I'm being paid. 
Like I may think what I'm being paid is reasonable for the job I thought I was getting. But now that I'm here, this is crazy. This is Kobayashi Maru every day. Mm. You're asking me to do something that is not possible. You know, um, and I, I hear anecdotes from clients to my wife to people on the internet every day of stuff where I'm like that. I, you know, there must be something I'm not understanding about the workflow process you just explained to me because that is impossible. That makes no sense. Like you're not allowed to send a PDF. You have to print a PDF and take it to somebody. Like there's all kinds of stuff like that. You know, in organizations where I'm always baffled. Anyway. I think the motivation thing becomes difficult and I think managers know that or the people in a position to give people more of whatever, whether that's praise or money or parking spaces or expense accounts, they know that that's complicated stuff. And so again, the classic analogy, you know, how do you motivate, you know, a donkey? Well, you use a carrot and a stick. You use the carrot to dangle in front of them. I know everybody knows this analogy, but let's clarify what it means. You dangle a carrot in front of the donkey to get them to walk forward and pull the plow. But then sometimes you also have to use a stick to, you know, pain them into moving forward. And I think almost every motivation that we have, personal or professional, is some combination of carrot and stick. There's the carrot of what I'd like to have in this world or what I see just out of reach. And then there's the stick of, oh man, what's going to happen if I don't do this? Does that sound right? No, it totally does. And it's when you talk about those two different methods, like it, you, you don't want to think of that in relation to people, but they're really, that is some kind of a basic motivation. When I look at myself, I think of how many times, especially when I was younger, that I, I always had that, but there's also that sort of, a, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'll get more money. And if I don't, you know, then, then this will suck. But there's also that motivation of the, the, the thing that I think uh, the donkey probably can't do, which is get the concept that, that the grass is greener somewhere else. And how often I fell for that in the early stages of the early decade of my career of, gosh, you know, it, it would be so much better if I worked at this place or if you I had... just go over to Jerry Graff's. Just go to... You know, he's, he's buying him 10 bucks a pop. You walk across the street to Jerry Graff. You know what the thing is? They, he's got the good leads. Yeah. He, he understands. Has. He understands. Everybody's doing with the nurses? <laughs> you know, that's... The, see, now that's smart. Nurses. They're, they're single. They got money. <laughs> but if you think about that, and I remember there was I, how I, okay, I don't think I've ever talked about this one story. There was a company that I was working at, it was a startup, and I was on the, uh, I was, maybe I have talked about this. I was, in, I was a sale, like a, I think they called me technology director, but I was basically a sales engineer. And I, that meant that I worked with the sales guys because I could, I could do sales and I could speak like a human being, but I also understood at a deep level that the technical stuff of what we did. So the sales guys would go and they'd make their initial contact and inevitably they're the technology people on the client side would be like, well, we have some questions. Okay, great. We'll bring Dan. So they would grab me and I would go to this meeting or be on the call or travel with them out to the thing and sit down and answer all of their technical questions and explain the plan. And we were talking about competitive local exchange carriers, which it was like, you know, essentially called a CLAC. CLAC. And that was, you know, long distance service and Internet connectivity and all that stuff. So we'd I would explain how it all works and then I would help implement the plan and get them transitioned over and all of that great stuff. And I was in, I was on the sales side and more and more my job had become sales and less engineering, which at the, now would probably be just fine. But back then I really missed, you know, I like, I liked 
learning about the technology so much was changing back then and i really enjoyed the, the uh, you know the it stuff i enjoyed running servers i enjoyed building data centers we were building like crazy and i wasn't getting to do any of it because i was on these stupid sales calls all the time and that was how i felt back then and i remember i had talked to it was very much this grass is always greener mentality because if you think about it i really compared to what i used to do spending these awful nights and weekends up late you know setting up servers and things like that it was just it was a, a tough job and it was not really a fun job. But in my mind, I was reminiscing about how much fun it was to like be in the data center and unbox the new gear and rack it up and get it going. And, you know, really, I had it much easier doing sales. And in my mind, I was like, well, I think I want to go and be in the net. And they, they had this opening for the network engineering director or network engineering manager, whatever it was. And I thought, man, I should I should go and talk to the. Uh, the 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 manager over there, the director over there, and just say, have a little chat with him and see if he thought I might, you know, do it. So I went and I now I know immediately the huge red flag would be, well, like talk to your own boss first. But I was very early in my career; I had no idea that politics and things like that, and that there was even a proper way to do it. But I went over and I talked to the 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 director over there and I said, listen, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I want to learn more about this position. He's like, oh, OK, well, you know, such and such. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, oh, have you talked to your, your boss about it yet? I said, well, no, I, I wanted to see if it was even a possibility. And if it, if it seemed like something could work, I, I, you know, I didn't want to waste his time with it if it, it wasn't going to be. Well, of course, he went and talked to my boss before I did. And that was an awful thing. And it, Oh, no. Yeah. And. He should probably shouldn't have done that. He should have said, well, listen, he should have said the minute that I sat down, I don't want to talk to you about this unless you've cleared it with your boss first. That was what he should have done in retrospect. But really, it was my responsibility to have gone to my boss and said, listen, I'm not that happy right now doing the stuff that I'm doing. And I, I, I like the company and I want to stay. But I, I just is there a way we could do something different? This is what I really wish I was doing more of. And then he could have paved the way for that or he could have flat out said no or he whatever. But what it did was it created a bad vibe between me and him because now he knew I was unhappy. And not only was I unhappy, I was essentially looking for another job. Yeah. And if he had handled it better, he could have said I know you're still young. I know you probably haven't run into this before. But what you should do in a situation like this is come to me first and tell me that you're unhappy. And you and I will figure out the best way to make you happy, whether it's in this job or in another role here at the company or something. That's what he would have done if he was more confident in himself. Instead, he made it seem like I had you know, blindsided him by going to whatever. But it was still my fault. I should have gone to him first, no matter what. But this is the kind of thing the grass is greener becomes a motivation to like get out of the situation that you're in. And it's this is the thing the donkeys probably don't have. They don't look over at the other donkey down there and say, oh, me, he seems happy. He's pulling a smaller plow. But that's a very much a real thing. I think it's a, this is a long winded way of me saying I think there are misconceptions and misperceptions about the way that things would be if if something changed does that make sense at all i think it does it's a it's a good it's a good story that says a lot about how we get to where we are but one con- one uh, observation not conclusion one observation i would take from that story that you probably wouldn't have had at the time and i definitely wouldn't have 
at the time is also heavily related to motivation though so yes there there is there's what the what the what donkeys don't have and <laughs> grass is always greener but the other part of that is forgetting that if we unless we choose to keep this in mind especially when we're young and and aren't as keen to this idea mm. let's think about this when you're when you're young you're still closer to uh, a kid than a, a capital A adult. Something I still aspire to be every day as a capital A adult, but we're closer to being a kid. And what do I mean by that? It means two things. It means that you are um, not as experienced as people who are older than you, but really importantly also, you're used to being a kid and you're used to people taking care of you or you're used to people seeing people as the providers of resources and relief in right, life. Right. So when, when you're younger, I think that combination of not having the experience and thinking of yourself in some ways still as like, I don't say that people owe you stuff, but more in that sense of like, well, why haven't I gotten this thing yet? Why didn't I get this toy that yeah. I wanted? Yeah. But and I'm not trying to, you know, say that you were being immature, but, but in that instance, what that boils down to though, is forgetting that even the motivators have motivations that everybody in an organization has stuff that they want and stuff that they fear losing. And somebody who becomes a canny employee, uh, you know, gets beyond saying, oh, well, because think about it. When you talk about grass is always greener, what, you're, what one is really saying is, well, maybe I'll get better stuff. Maybe my, my, my new dad will get me better toys if I move to this other house. And without even really fully taking into account, you know, whether that's crazy drunk dad or whatever. So where you are right now, but, you know, same point uh, in the, in the, at the end, though, which is to think about, well, what, what can I change about what I'm doing? So, you know, when you're young or inexperienced, you tend to think a lot about what you need, what you want what you deserve, the eyes and the me's of all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then trying to like, and then even if you take a step out from that and try to think about, hmm, how can I get my boss to give me a raise? How could I get my boss to want to give me less of this work I don't like and more of this work I do like, which would help me grow? That's, that's all good stuff. But it also helps to take into account like what they have to do every day, who that person is beholden to, what their challenges are. And yes, to think about what it is that they really want and what they really fear losing. Yeah. So, here, so here's what doesn't work um, in, in a classic related to quit fashion is, I mean, I think a lot of people feel like they are like Milton and they feel like they're going to go to their boss and they have this exaggerated sense of their own value. So they go to their boss and make some kind, they hold a gun to their head basically and say, don't make me do this. Yeah. Like, don't make me quit. I like, I want to be here. I've worked really hard. So, uh, but you know, but like I need a toy. That's essentially what it comes down to. So you go into your boss's office and you know, in my case, in my case, a lot of those times that's been somebody really nice. who kind of was looking out for me in a way I probably didn't even deserve a lot of the time, but they did want to see me rewarded. They knew I was trying really hard and they knew, let's be honest, they were like a parent and they knew that I was kind of a dumbass who needed just some guidance and time to grow a little bit. But I think the wrong approach in that instance is to ignore that motivation. And by going in there and saying like, you know, don't make me, don't make me uh, shoot this. Well, okay, but now ask yourself, like, you're going in there and showing yourself to be a little bit unstable, not unstable, but if you, if you're going to quit a job, quit the job. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I just, I don't, I can't believe there's ever been that many people. Anil, uh, Anil Dash used to say nobody's ever been fired for what they posted on their blog. What they got fired for was bad judgment in deciding what to put on their blog. Mm. It's not a blog that got you fired. It was your decision making, <laughs> right. which I think is, is kind of uh, probably true, at least, you know, 15 years ago or whatever he said that. But, but in that instance, um, 
when you go in there and you make that kind of a, a threat, you are, you're, it's more than just showing that you're disloyal or it's more than just showing uh, that it, in some ways maybe that you're unstable. You know, I just can't imagine anybody who's, uh, that many people who have ever, maybe outside of sales, ironically enough, there's ever been that many people who could go into their boss's office with a known problem where you've talked to them five times about this over the last year, gone in there and said, fix this or I'm going to quit. And they go, okay, we'll uh, fix it. Because you kind of sound nuts when you do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I could go out tomorrow and get a better job. Well, God, great. You're making it even easier for that person. If it's that, if, if there you have a better job and I'm not able to give you what you want, it's not, that I'm not, it's not that I'm withholding something from you because I'm a mean person. Maybe I can't get that for you. Maybe our budgets are frozen. You know, maybe I'm actually covering up for you sometimes for your silly, sloppy work. But in any case, if you can get a better job, don't threaten to quit. Go get the better job and then resign like a gentleman. It's just that creating, trying to flip that power differential and offer to hold your breath until your parents decide to, you know, replace your succotash with a candy bar is not a great approach professionally mm. because that's not how that person is motivated. Right. Their motivation is I got to keep this stuff happening in my area here with as little disruption as possible. I've got to make my employees and me look good to the people above me. And I, I just, I, the amount of information I have firsthand about being a manager, uh, it's, it could fit on a pinky, pinky nail. But I do know that like, if there are one or two people who are bitching a lot or who are causing a lot of, uh, you know, belly aching or stuff like that, that makes you a pretty easy target. And it also makes you kind of unsympathetic to that person. So if you want to try and get something better, your motivation is to get more of this money or less of this work or more time off or flexibility in your schedule, whatever that is. Remember when you go to somebody about that, remember what their motivation is. And so that's why I think it helps to go in there and if not treat them as a peer, at least treat it as a, as a business transaction. And so, you know, and that's why I would say instead of going and, and giving somebody something as a problem that you need solved or else, go in there with a solution that will be difficult for them to say no to because it makes things so much better for them. And that could be even stuff like, forgive me people, but even like the equivalent of comp work where you could say to your boss, you could say, look, I feel like I've been, I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job. I hope you've been happy with my performance. You said you were, I would love to do more of this thing over here. Let's take a classic Merlin example. You know how I'm always bitching about meetings. How about I try to make the meetings better by agreeing to take the notes and handle the scheduling. It will not disrupt any of my other work. I will not ask for any more money, but that would be a way for me to get more into project management in a way that I think helps everybody. And it won't cost you anything. Could we try that for a month? That is really different from mm -hmm. going in and saying, give me a parking space or I'm going to shoot myself in the temple. <laughs> yeah. Because that person's motivation is, okay, if you do have credibility, employee, and you can pull that off, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? If I'm unhappy with this in a month, we just stop doing it and you keep doing your job. But at least now you're offering a solution rather than asking to have your stake cut for you. I'm not saying it's always that way, but as you get older, you do start to realize that like, we would all love to have a parent who takes care of us, but what you really want is somebody who's going to be there. Like, I just don't think there's that many people who love their job. You know, I mean, you know, you got a job, it's a job. It's got good things. It's got bad things, you know, but by the time you're like a big middle-aged slumpy guy with a gut, yeah, you know, it's a job. I come in, I do this thing. In, uh, in Shelly's case, it's how he pays for his daughter's, presumably his ill daughter's health care. Yeah, chronically. Stuff like that. 
Yeah, but there's stuff you got to you, you just you got to do, and that motivation. I think increasingly in some ways does become about loss and like what I, what I can lose here and having to start over as you get older, like what a horrible feeling, but I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail your story, but, but I, I feel like that, you know, in some ways this goes back to what's increasingly a, like a tentpole of the show or like a canonical topic to mm-hmm. me, which is like how other people are motivated, how other people think, how other people perceive the world, what other people think is problematic, you know? Uh, you know, you as an employee or a person may be so keyed up about some issue. Like it's part of the reason that I don't argue on the internet because I don't think people remember whether you won an argument on the internet. They remember that you're kind of a dick who argues on the internet. Nothing gets solved. And mainly you just get remembered as somebody who kind of can't get along with other people and likes to yell. Yeah. So no matter how right you are in what you're doing at work, always remember that pe- the thing that's going to stick with people is how you handled stuff. And so, yeah, I don't know. Does that, uh, does that, does that comport with your story? Does that kind of dovetail? Very much. Uh, it, you know, it, it was such a learning experience for me because at the time it was such an emotional thing, realizing that I had, you know, I had done this awful injustice to the person who is my boss, whether that's true or not is debatable. But what was a fact was that I had screwed things up for me in the company because, you know, if you have two of the directors thinking that this, you know, this is guy is like this opportunistic guy when I was really just unhappy, I was like unhappy. I didn't want to quit the job, but I wanted to do something that where I felt like I would learn more and 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 and, and kind of go back to something that I enjoyed. You know, I was punished for the way I went about it. And that happens a lot, though. You know, I totally agree. I totally agree. Even if you have the best point in the world. Yeah. The way that you went about it does not fit in with that company's culture or what the expectations are. It's and I think that's what uh, makes us how we are in some ways is like, I was so right about this. Why did this not turn out the way? that I thought it would. And, and I, I think we're both accidentally arriving at something here, which is how you handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but I don't know. I think if, if there's a tip to this, it's like whether you're selling tracts of land or appetizers or Sarlaccs, is that like you've got to understand that whoever is above you has their own stuff that they're dealing with too. And so, you know, remember that the, they've chosen to motivate you with money. And think about how often you're motivated with other people's money. That's a very interesting idea to me, is that if you are in... Think about when you're in a restaurant and they want you to be a good server. They're motivating you with the prospect of other people's money. It's not costing them anything for you to get tips. It's all on you to go out and, and bring that in. If when you're in retail, they give you a certain amount each month. And, uh, but then that's all other people's. The, re- the retail shopper's money is what pays for you to get those bonuses. Mm-hmm. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's, there's not that many places where they just go, um, thanks for answering the phone super well this month. <laughs> Here's an extra 20%. Right. Because that, that comes off their bottom line, right? Hey, speaking of uh, answering the phone. I got to tell you. I got to, let me tell you about some of my life. Folks that, uh, that, that, that help people with their careers. Folks that people, uh, folks that people. People, 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 folks. people who like folks. People Vulcan. That's a, it's a German term. If you are having that feeling that, you know what? I want to do something a little different. I want to do something a little better. Maybe I want to move in a new direction. I'm stuck. I need to learn things. I need to learn something to make my my own situation, to improve my situation. There is a single place in the world that you can go to to, to do this, and it's lynda.com. Oh, in fact, it's lynda.com slash back to work, a specific place, lynda.com slash back to work. Lynda helps you learn and keep up to date with stuff like software, 
can learn brand new skills. You can even explore your hobbies because you've got so much copious spare time. You want to go and do this, you do it, and you do it there with video tutorials. Whether you want to get tips on the latest online tools, you want to increase your productivity, get things done, you want to edit your own video footage using uh, Final Cut Pro, whatever it is, lynda.com has thousands of video courses on a variety of topics. In fact, they have over 20 400 courses taught by industry experts are adding more every single day. The way that it works is you get a monthly subscription. You pay 25 bucks a month and you have access to every single video that they do. You can watch it once. You can watch it a million times. Start it, stop it, pause it, jump around, whatever you want to do. They have this great getting things done course with David Allen. He's world renowned. He's a productivity expert. And now... He himself is walking through his five-step getting things done course. It shows you how to stay on top of your work, avoid feeling buried by it, but still carve out space in your life to do meaningful things. Just one of the many courses taught by the pros. We're talking about pros. What are you talking about? I'm talking about. (laughs) Lynda.com, and that's spelled L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. If you go to that URL, you will get a seven-day free trial during which time you can watch as many videos as you could possibly consume. So take a week off of work, stay <laughs> home, and spend eight hours a day. Well, I think you'll get through at least 2,300 of the 2,400 courses. But uh, anyway, go check this out. This is a really good deal, and uh, and it's a good time to sign up. And doing that will support the show. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. Go check them out. Thank you very much to Linda for supporting Back to Work with Merlin Mann. Go and do likewise, gents. <laughs> Good movie. But, you know, like I still remember that. This happened in probably like 1998. And I still think about that. And I wish I could go back and, and do it different because now I know from the experience. At the time, it seemed like really. And I'm like, gosh, was I was I that stupid? Was I that naive? Was I that inexperienced that I ever thought that could fly? Like if he had been the if if the guy that I had been talking to had been the best director of IT in the world, he would have said, you know, Dana, I'm glad you you know, you wanted to talk to me. I'm glad you have some interest in this. But step one for you is go talk to John. Go Mm -hmm. talk to John and, and, you know, clear with him, because I have a feeling that if you tell John, because I've known John. And if you tell John how you're how you're feeling, this was Manny talking to me. If you tell John how you're feeling, I have a feeling that he will respond positively to that, and uh, and 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 just express to him what you want to do. And he he may say, you know what, there's nothing we can do for you, but chances are he'll figure out something with you because I think he likes you. And then if if he had still not said that, but I had been smart enough to go to John, or if I had just gone to John after he advised me, I would have said, John, you know what. I really want to be more hands-on. I really want to do – there's such great opportunity for me to learn over here. And to be honest, I don't know how much of a, a valuable resource I am on these things. He might have said, listen, let's work together and figure something out. Because Do you want more money? I, got, I, could, I could do money. I could do more. I could do more. You know, and that might have been an incentive enough for me to shut up and do the sales calls more. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot. Of, there are a lot of different things he could have done uh, that weren't money related too. He could have said, "You know what? Why don't Why don't as part of your sales engineering process, why don't you spend one day a week down with the IT guys working with them to learn what they're doing? That'll make you more valuable to us." You know, and I could think of a million things he could have suggested, but 
because the way I went about it seemed to rub two guys the wrong way, it was clearly the wrong thing to do, and I got myself mm-hmm. in trouble. And I, I wound up on the hit list when, the, well, the whole company imploded. But I was in stage one of the implosion instead of stage two, which came a month later. You know, uh, that <laughs> I insured myself a, a uh, you know, uh, getting on the short list of people who would be in the first round of uh, of, of oh, that people that went away. Now, it only bought me four or five weeks, but... Still. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, part of it's a narrowness of vision that we all, that we all tend to have. I mean, if you're thinking about, and maybe I'm not thinking broadly enough, but I'm, I'm trying to come up with some of the things that people, uh, the typical, when I say complaints, I don't mean that they're not warranted, but what Uh people say bums them out about a job. I think one of them is that I should be making more money or getting more of something. There are things related to flexibility you know, I, I've said before, I, I really think that the amount of agency that you have in your job, the amount of autonomy that you have in your job, the amount of not feeling hassled in your job is very difficult to quantify. But I think a lot of times that's what drives people crazy. I watched that oh, sad, amazing, terrible must-watch documentary about Aaron Swartz yesterday and about the time after Reddit got acquired by Condé Nast, and mm. he just stopped coming to work. He just couldn't go in anymore. <laughs> People would just come in there, and they want to play video games and talk to him, and he's just like, I don't know how anybody here gets anything done. And frankly, people just don't get anything done. Yeah. And that's a terrible feeling. I've had that feeling of like, what are you people doing all day here? All you're doing is walking around and practicing your golf swing with <laughs> no golf club in your hands. Stop <laughs> doing that. Get away from my door. Why are you here? You know? Um, but, you know, but... but it's weird how like, so there's all those things about, and that's why I say the autonomy is big. The money thing can be big. The flexibility can be big. Um, I think for a lot of people, like I say, they're okay with their job. They're okay with their, uh, what they're paid, but the workload or expectations is either, um, too high, inconsistent, out of whack or impossible. And that leads to an incredible amount of stress. And there's really no amount of money. You think there's an amount of money that can fix that, but like you're still going to be so unhappy every day. You're just going to be better paid to be yeah, really unhappy yeah. about that. But um, I don't know. There's not, not too much more to say about this probably, but yeah, you got a dash. But the, um, the, the thing is that it's, it, I think it's so critical to become more and more sensitive to, to things like work culture and office culture and why things, how things work the way they do. Because if you stay single-mindedly focused on things like your, your, salary and benefits and, you know, whether you get a gold plated desk that you might lose track of the fact that, that there are things you could be doing that are no guarantee of success, but there are things that will increase your status and credibility in the eyes of other people that will make it much easier for them to decide on their own to give you more money. When you go in and ask for more money, for example, that's tough. Because, you know, if they wanted to give you more money, they already would have. They would have thought there was a reason to. They had to. Um, they thought, they honestly thought they were going to lose you. You know, right. if you're Ricky Roma, like, you, you, you're you going to get that Cadillac probably. But anyway, all I'm saying is that, like, it's just, if it, uh, whether you're working on your own or working in a group, just as a personal development thing, it helps to understand, like, what does motivate those other people? What kind of culture they're working in? what their expectations and fears are, and then trying to understand what you can do to, by learning to be a, uh, not a team player, but by learning to help other people with what's, you know, motivating them, yeah. you end up helping yourself a lot. That's all. That's it. I'm going to button this up. We got to go. All right. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. Yeah.